You're listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To learn more about the Collective Church in Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington, visit us online at thecollectivechurch.com. So we've been talking for, for um, when did Brother Britt come and preach? When was that? Was it February? He was here in February. Britt Hancock, how many were in the service when he talked about the, the need to build the house in Chiapas, Mexico? How many were in that service? How many remember the touch of God, that service? Okay, so we've been talking about this hero of the faith, really is what she is, Nicole. And we've been talking about her and we've been raising money for this home. And we saw the video a few weeks ago. We were all wrecked by that video. And uh, I have a surprise for you. Nicole is right here on the front row. Let's, let's stand. And we're going we're gonna to welcome Nicole as she comes to speak to us. Come on, church. All right. I, I'm not, I don't say this lightly. Nicole, and I haven't even met your husband yet. Jason, and he's already one of my heroes of the faith. This couple are, are, are heroes in the faith, okay? And she's going she's gonna to have to feel uncomfortable here for a second because I know she doesn't like this. Um, but what, what this couple is doing, and you're going to hear about it, is people who have absolutely 100% lay, laid down their life for Jesus and have boldly gone in um, and followed the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So we just, we honor you, Nicole. We honor Jason. We honor Mountain Gateway. We honor Dusty and Ann. You guys are, are you in a fight? What's going on? You, everything okay? It's cool. Okay, cool. Uh, we honor you guys. And, and um, we're, we're going to raise, we're going to raise every single cent that it takes to buy the land and build this building. Amen? Every single, and more, and more. Okay. So, Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for Nicole. We thank you for touching her physical body right now, giving her strength and energy to proclaim the word of God, to tell the story, to tell heaven's story in Chiapas, Mexico. And we love you, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you. Thank you. I was not ignoring. I'm very multifaceted. Sean, I'm going to send you three more pictures real quick. My DA just um, sent me because I have to erase a lot of my pictures just in case something happens to me for to protect the children's identity and stuff. So I'm going to send you these three pictures. If you can put these on the last, I'll end with these. Okay, send them to you. And I just went through. Sorry. So, Hi. I am so super mega blessed and honored to be here with y'all. My name is Nicole Fitzpatrick. Just being with y'all is so reviving. I um, This was not actually my plans to, to come to this awesome, wonderful church and wonderful. Her voice is just amazing, amazing. But I was coming out. My daughter graduates in Louisiana um, Wednesday, and Miss Audrey Hancock realized that I must be here had a few extra days. I was actually recuperating from a, a surgery I had a few weeks ago. And I came and um, it was just Jesus. It's just God. I have, Jenny, I am so excited to share a lot of what all of you guys shared and have done for us. The testimonies was just very, were very inspiring. But more than anything, just see a group of Christians get together and wanting to 
be God's voice and to say yes. It's funny. They took me to ER, Audrey and, um, and Cynthia took me to ER the other Friday night and we didn't realize we looked like a gang club. We all had the pink yes shirts. And <laughs> so I'm sitting there with Ivy and people just walk up and like, what's with the yes? But, you know, it gave, I was out of it. So like Audrey, Cynthia, they would be able to share it with the doctors and nurses all about y'all, about the, about um, yes, and about what you guys are doing here in Oregon and around the world. So I feel like I went a little, excuse me, take my cough drop out. I feel like I went a little too long on our testimony. So I mainly want to share about what y'all are doing through us in Chiapas. But my husband is Jason Fitzpatrick. I'm an MK. I was a preteen whenever we joined the mission field. So I grew up in Guatemala, Mexico, and mostly Peru. Then um, came back to Mexico um, after I got a degree in, in Spanish, although I already spoke it. I was planning on working in an orphanage in Peru, but my husband drove up and asked me to marry him. So we got married at a young age in, um, in Mexico 30 years ago this December. So we are blessed that, uh, we're, that we're still together because our personalities are like really um, different. <laughs> but, we are, but we have really learned to... To work together and that we fulfill each other. We are so, we've always been massively in love. We love each other so much, but um, he's a northerner and I'm a southerner. So we've really worked things out. <laughs> so, um, and I've lost most of my accent. I, I used to have this, just this horrible Louisiana draw, but, <laughs> but um, I just want to say thank y'all. Cause like the pastor said, um, well, let me briefly say we, we got married and we lived for a little over 10, 11 years in Suchitipan Hidalgo, pioneer missionaries. That's why we got married. And we were just the old style missionaries, the long dresses, don't cut your hair, preach the gospel, you know. And we, my husband, we go on his, we hike, Jason, we go on his four wheel drive till the road ended, motorcycle chained up to tree. We just reached the unreached, the poorest of the poor, the indigenous, the, um, Nahuatl Totonaco primarily, who we still work a lot with, mostly with, and Tepewa, um, just all sorts of, we've worked with about eight of the Indian tribes there. And Jason raised up lots of churches. We, we pioneered churches, children's ministries, all sorts of stuff. But in um, April of 2003, we were sent out along with our leaders, Britt and Audrey Hancock. At the time, we all worked in the same ministry. We were sent out to pioneer a new work hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where we had been established all those years. So my husband and I, well, my husband really chose Puebla. I was like, I'm type A personality. Don't want this change. And this is where my children were born and raised. But um, God sent us to Puebla. And I'm really happy to say we've been there a little over 19 years. And that's where the children's home started. We already had a children's ministry. We had a church ministry, all that sort of stuff. We'd always help the poor. And um, my husband really has a vision of, he's an entrepreneur and he loves starting small business for the indigenous people to help them get on their feet. Cause like the saying says, you can give a man, um, teach, give a man a fish and feed him for a day, teach him a fish and feed him for a lifetime. So that's always been what my husband and I've made our best efforts to do. But, um, and I love children. I've always loved children. I've worked with them in several countries. But I was not, back in 2003, when we moved to Puebla, I wasn't really familiar with the word human trafficking. You know, you've heard of bad things and molestations and stuff, but human trafficking to me was still a new word. I wasn't familiar with it. But 
Within a year of moving to Puebla, we, um, we, we moved to where the dirt roads, where the pavement ended and it was all dirt road, but we actually lived in a beautiful, by a beautiful lake. It was a paradise. But what I learned within the first year of living there, it was a paradise in hell because it was hell all around us. Children who come to my door asking me, um, not really give me food, give me clothes, but they had integrity and would say, can I, sweep your porch can i cut your grass and for a piece of bread for a meal for 10 pesos just 50 cents and of course i would like well why aren't you in school it's 10 30 in the morning um my aunt had a baby so my mom's taking care of her and we can't go to school and the next one same thing why not uh my dad's in such and such working and my mom has a lot of kids and can't take care of me and just so on and so forth what's your name mm, they call me skinny you know, none of them knew their real names, much less their the last names. How old are you? And, you know, and then so I, I immediately red flags were up, I talked to the mayor of the town, talked to our leader, our ministry leader. I opened up my door, started taking children in, mainly by opening up a school and with the basics, reading and writing and arithmetic. But I started bringing clothes in from the state, medical caring for medical needs and Within a few months, I started noticing, you know, they come be with me every day, but the next day they come home. I still, they weren't still living with me at night yet because I didn't, I didn't know they were orphaned. I didn't know they were trafficked. I didn't know that some of them had orphaned by dad, but mom was walking the streets, you know, and, or vice versa. I've had both cases and, um, or, or their both parents had been killed or died in a wreck or what have you, or sickness. And then their mom's sister's husband was brothling them every night and just let them on the streets in the day. So all that to say, I started noticing bruises and bite marks and stuff like that. And I'm like, baby, what happened? You have a huge bite mark on your neck and you're all red. You weren't like that yesterday. Uh, I was going home and the neighbor's dog bit me. And that doesn't like a dog bite. It looks like a human's mouth. And no, 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 it was a dog. And again, preoccupied with other children. I believed them. I didn't know they were lying to me. Um, bruises, black eyes, busted arms. I mean, broken arms, whatever. What happened? I was falling down the stairs and I tripped and fell. No, he was beat the pulp out of. But I didn't know. And and um, one of the things that's life changed, I share this when I go to a place first, is what really opened my eyes. I'd already been doing this work for over eight months, taking children in. And I still didn't. Children, children are only going to tell you what's happening if they trust you. So I hadn't gained their trust yet completely. And um, two of the sisters, I know since they were like eight and 10, and now they were 10 and 12, no, 11, 11 and nine. Anyway, get my ages mixed up. But yeah, one was 12, one was 11, one was 13 when they were pregnant. Anyway, they first started falling asleep whenever I would um, do the teaching. They didn't eat, run in the bathrooms. My novice mind was like, oh, they have pinworms or roundworms. I need to go get them vaccinated. And I noticed they didn't have the TB scar. None of the kids were vaccinated. Red flag. When a child's not vaccinated, it's, they were born to brothel. So I took them to the doctor and um, doctor asked them a bunch of questions. And when was your first day of your last menstrual cycle? My what? What's your name? They didn't know their names. They didn't know their last names. Just no knowledge of who they are or identity. And the doctor said, um, they're pregnant. I said, there's no way. They're not even developed. They're small children. He said, that's what happens up in the mountains. And that's what happens. And he started giving me as a doctor's point of view of, um, of brothling and trafficking in their homes and stuff. And it was just 
it blew me away. I didn't want to believe it. I went to total denial, went home, brought them to the labs, drew their blood, and sure enough, they were both pregnant. And so I had to, to come home, into my meal, bathed them, sat down on the couch, and I said, let's, let's talk about this. Who's the father of your baby? Neither one of them, they, I had to get my books out, show them the ovaries, show them the human bodies, how a child is, is conceived. They had no knowledge of any of it. So, um, but yeah, come to find out their brother, their mom had abandoned them. Their dad was a street drunkard. Someone had lent a little six by eight foot hut that their older brother and them two lived in. And he would brothel them at night, pretty much just highest bidder went one, but really it was just a couple of dollars each man would pay to be with these little girls. But that was, you know, the root of human trafficking is poverty and corruption. These children have no mother and no father to care for them. And they were hungry. And the only way they had been brought up to bring in money was sexually. So that's where I, like I shared the other day at her voice, I went into the fight or flight mode. And I wanted to, it would have been a lot easier for me to just pretend I hadn't heard it, you know, pretend I didn't know, send them home, turn them into the child protection and walk away. But I went to child protection. There was nothing for them. There was no home of refuge. There was no nothing that could be done for these children. Not because they're bad people in Mexico. Let me clarify that. They're just underpaid, under budgeted, and they have way they don't have enough social workers, enough psychologists, enough DAs, enough attorneys to fight. And so when the uh, Sheriff's Department of Public Affairs, where I work, I work with the FBI, Public Affairs, everybody now, but like they say, they have stacks of murder, stacks of kidnappings, and then the stacks of the brothling. And well, this is the last priority because the family who've lost a, a family member want justice. The one who has someone missing, of course, that's priority. So I had to realize that it's a huge world out there and a lot of darkness and a lot of children. You know, when the songs were just saying, um, because you love us. I can't remember that. You know, these children were never told they were loved. They were never said, I love you. They were, they were born to brothel. They were born for a source of income for their family or for whoever's taking care of them. So, um, so that's when we bought a piece of land. I worked on that a few years and then we had, we couldn't fit all the kids in our home anymore. So we built a piece of land just outside of Tenango and, um, it's, a, it's almost seven acres and we built a village, you know, and like that old saying, I'm not even sure who says if you build it, they will come. <laughs> well, we built with um, we started out with about 40 people when we moved on. And we have thanks to Jesus. We've taken over 1000 children in our children's home in um, in 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 La Gallera Tlaola, Puebla. So what's different from us is we don't have an age out system. We work. I do work with the government, although I am a private Christian children's home. I do work with the government. I do work hand in hand with human trafficking um, rescuers, which is the child protection. And um, we don't age out our children if they turn 18, but they still want to stay and serve in one of our other departments or go to college, which, yes. And, and believe it or not, not all of them choose college. <laughs> a lot of them want to do something um just with us and, and we love it. A lot of our girls have are pregnant and have small children. When we get them, they're, they're pregnant and bear with us. And when we can, we give them into an open adoption. And, but a lot of our trafficked girls actually want to keep their children, which at first I was like, why would you want to keep it? You don't even know the father. You were raped. You were brothled. 
But it is amazing how that baby's birth heals that mother. It just heals it. 11, 12, 13. We've had them birth them right there with us. And and we raise them. And it's so cool because so many times some of the boys we've raised are some of our national missionaries who we've known since they were young, grown up and go through our Bible school. Look at that girl knowing her past, but seeing that her son needs daddy and we marry him. So we have a lot of cool stories like that. So, um, so 88% of children who were trafficked globally, not just Mexico, I may have already shared that just now, but they're trafficked by the ones who should be loving and protecting them and giving them a safe place, a safe home. They're not. They're out for their own good. And that's where repeating poverty and corruption, you know, are the root of human trafficking. Um, a lot of people say, so this is all you do, right? No, our goal is still starting churches, is still bringing the gospel to people. We have a lot of missionaries raised up. We have churches in eight um, states. We have, you know, I'm not even sure the count now. It's over 70 or 80 house churches with indigenous. And we have it in the cities now, too, because we have to get Jesus. Why do people, why do men and women go that low that they take an innocent child? You know, a lot of people can't believe it. I've rescued them at eight and 10 months old. You know, eight and ten month old little girls who have taken care of men twenty minute day. They I don't even know if I'm gonna be too graphic and I say what I they a lot of people come to the children's home and my little girls have they, they talk like this. Like the little girl, y'all saw the video the pastor shared a, a while back. The little girl at the end or in the middle, the cute little girl with the little pinky tails, um, we'll call her L. She still talks like this. She's rough. And people are like, why are so many of your little girls? Is that just the thing here in Mexico where they have deep voices? I said, no, it's a thing that they were trafficked as infants and small children and forced to eat semen their whole lives, which eats into their voice boxes. So these are things that I can't really share publicly normally, but I'm just felt like y'all need to know that this is the kind of stuff that humans do. And why are they doing that? Because the Bible says, the heart of a man and woman is never satisfied. You know, how many times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New, it says, and then the people did what was right in their own eyes. And what happens when we do what's right in our own eyes? We have no boundaries, no limitations. We displease God. We want those fleshly, you know, I've had this, I've had that, I've had that. Mm, let me try that. So, um, so that's what we're working against. So you can go ahead and put the first picture up. And I'll share a little bit about Pueblo. Let me jump to Chiapas. So I just thought I'd share with y'all a little bit. Like I said, we rescued over a thousand children. And we rescue, restore, and raise. Restore meaning if we, invest after investigating and checking out through the um, public affairs, I'm really translating everything into English as I'm going. Forgive me. Um, as we work with the public affairs and we do find the children's, if they, some of them don't even have birth certificates, we have to like, mm, well, she looks about, the dentist says she has her molar, so she's at least 12. You know, we have to make up their own birth certificates legally with the government. But some of, some of the times when we do find family members, aunts or uncles or grandparents who did not know about this case, because most of them don't, we do restore. So anytime it's, it's possible for us to restore these beautiful children to family, we restore them and we keep follow-ups till they're 18. We don't just like, oh, here's your kid. Have fun. No, we keep, we keep follow-ups. But for most cases, we have to raise the children. Smaller ones are easier to get up into foster adoption. But there's not a line at the gate wanting these seven siblings ranging from four to 13 or 14. And I don't personally separate siblings. So, so I raise them. 
So um, we'll start with the little girl in the glasses. We'll call her S. I can't give their names in public because they're minors under my care. But she's S. Her mother was a um, three years ago, three and a half years ago. I was at church with 50 kids right down the road from the village children's home, one of our house churches. And um, I'm up there in front with all of the kids and one of the brothers, the door guard. It's like, sisters, ladies looking for you. I look at her. She was very frail, maybe 60 or 70 pounds. You know, she looked like a cancer victim. And she told me it was cancer. Come to find out it was HIV because she had been an exotic prostitute because she had been um, raped and brothel by her mother's boyfriend her entire life. But she came telling me I'm dying and I have three children and they're all in, I don't know where they are. They're distributed. The bad guys got them, the pimps, and I want you to help me find my children before I die. So we did. It took us. We I got my PIs on it, and it took, um, it was in February, March, we found the youngest, 10 years old. Uh, not only was he a drug addict, he actually produced meth himself and sold it. We got him. He's doing great. Then in June, June we bought, we found, he was 14, John. We found him. And then in July, we got S. And um S is amazing. She is the kindest, sweetest. She's quiet until you get her upset. She's smart. She's beautiful. And she graduated sixth grade. Um, we took them in. The mom came only twice within the couple years that I had. Uh, at the first couple years after I had them, she came twice to see them. And in February of 2021, she came, saw them, and I told her, your mom's coming. We'd been going through a lot of forgiveness, lots and lots of forgiveness with the children because they know who did it, you know, who's the root. Give her a chance to change. Give her a chance. Forgiveness is a big thing for us. So two of them did write letters to her saying, I forgive you and I love you. She went and saw them. And a few weeks later, I got a call from the DA from the county and um, upper part of the state saying, do you know so-and-so? I said, yeah, I have three of our kids. He goes, yeah. Well, her body was found decapitated, cut in two, sliced to pieces in two big bags floating in the river. We got worried because we saw buzzers. So a neighbor opened it and saw that it was her. So that little girl has been through hell and back. <laughs> but she's doing good. So and the ones next to her, I'm sorry. I got to control it. The two girls next to her sisters, um, A and uh, it's A and, and M. Their sisters, their mom was the 10th wife of a man didn't take care of him and he got and then he died alcoholic he was like 50 years older than the mom and that in itself shows you the cycle of of um of what they live and so his older hurt their older siblings who were in their 40s and their mom was 27 when it happened kicked them out to the streets where the mom had no choice but to go back to her her poor little town which is ironically called um angel ranch where um, one sign of trafficking is a shack with a Doverman or a Rottweiler out, tied outside and a big satellite, child porn. And their grandfather would tie them up to a beam and allow men and their older brother, allow men to come in and, and rape them every day. So we rescued them six years ago. Actually, I got those girls on Mother's Day of 2015. So actually, that's seven years now, isn't it? So, yeah, they've pretty much grown up because they were little. I'm talking, you're looking at them now like, oh, wow, at least they're, you know, have grown. No, they were like four and six when I got them. Destroyed, their bodies were destroyed, their souls, their hearts, their minds were destroyed. And now they're little jibber jabbers. They're, they also love to draw. They love to 
play. The older one, Elm, she loves to do hair. She says she's going to study cosmetology one day. The one next to her is one of our staff members' daughters. In the back, the second boy to the right, B, his parents are alive. He was not brothled, but he was abandoned. Both parents just kept finding other partners, lived in abject poverty, did not care for their children. I took in his older sister and her four children many years ago, was raising them. Excuse me. And um, she told me about her brother. And I said, let's find him. He was downtown Mexico City. So finding him, if y'all know, it's like 28 million people. <laughs> no cell phones. So God just gave us grace and wisdom. And we found him when he was 15, already an addict. Um, just not living for Jesus at all. Just really, really bad off. And you would never know it now. He is my baby boy. He turned 22 March 30th. He loves Jesus. He's a full-time national missionary. He just graduated in May from Toomey Bible College in California. And now the leaders there are trying to get him to take um, oversee some, some more Bible schools throughout the nations, Europe and Cuba and stuff. And he actually graduates from Pueblo University uh, August 25th. I'm so excited to go with him and stand next to him when he gets his diploma. So, so that's just a few stories of people who, kids that we, I mean, had nothing. But if you take them in and you love them, all a kid needs is to be loved. All a kid needs to, to know is that you love them and believe, them, believe in them. Next to him is a little boy, Jay. The girl next to him is one of our staff members' daughter, my assistant's daughter. The two girls on the outside are twins. They're fraternal. And I'll show you some identical. I've raised so many twin sets of twins. And they're all precious, but I, I struggle less with fraternal because when they're identical, I'm getting on to the wrong one. <laughs> so, so anyway, their, um, their mom died when they were four. Um, I actually found their brother when he was 12, and it took us a long time to find the girls. Because when their mom died, the dad sold them to other people, and they kept them separated. The little boy was a newborn baby, Jay, and he um, was given. He was not brothel, but he was exploited, meaning given to a family. He just used him as go get the wood, go get the water clean my car. You know, he was exploited and treated. He was taken in as a slave. But those little girls, I took in their older brother and for a year, over a year, every Saturday, Isaiah, he's an adult now, so I can say his name. Isaiah wanted to find his sisters. He knew he had siblings. So he would go with one of our national missionaries and hike the mountains all around. And, you know, it took almost a year, but he found um, the, the, the one all the way on the end. They're adults now, I can say her name, Mari Sol. She, um, they just turned 18 in, in, in May. And a few months later, he, he got the other one, Mati. They're my baby girls. Mari Sol has never, ever caused me one ounce of grief. She is the sweetest, kindest, most studious girl on earth. But Mati, <laughs> yeah, Mati has, uh, I color my hair now because I was so gray with Mati. <laughs> But now Mati's like my best friend. She's my baby girl. Mati, you know, all you go through a little bit of rebellion. It's normal. But whenever you feel so rejected and when you know your dad has sold you and stuff, it's just beyond repair sometimes. But with Jesus, nothing's ever beyond. There's always a remedy. He's He's the answer. He's the king. So um, I'm going to share briefly and I want to get to Chiapas. But like when I was outside bathing kids and and dirty clothes on the line and stuff to wash years and years ago because they were barely eight. So this is over 10 years ago. And I looked out and I saw 
her brother and one of our missionaries, Peter, walking. And I saw a little girl in between. I thought, that doesn't look good. They're not supposed to be with little girls. This is, you know, we've got protocol. And then I thought, wait a minute. Did they finally find the other sister? So she comes in and it's just, I wish I had digital cameras back then. I didn't have, you know, we still had our old 35 millimeter thing, but um, I didn't get a picture. But gosh, it's, I'll never erase it from my mind. The little girl, hair matted, just matted, filthy. Her clothes stuck to her that it was so tight and crusted onto her. I had to get scissors and cut her short pants or pants, but it was down to here. And I remember we got a magnifying glass so I could see the tag because we didn't know her age. They didn't know their names or anything. He just knew he had twin sisters a few years younger than him. So, um, but besides four months and months later we finally got their birth certificates and they were eight and a half when they were rescued or barely eight one the other was eight and a half and she was still wearing the clothes that she had on when her mother had died so four years she had just you know let that sink in that's how uncared for and unloved and it's funny i didn't show this in first service but whenever after we bathe them clean them up cut their hair all that we take them in the room to um to get documentations ask questions and stuff and and I said, you know, your brother's been looking for you over a year. And I said, you came without a fight. You you wanted to be with us. She goes, yeah. So what made you want to come and live with us at the children's home? And we we talk about it a lot there. We laugh because we laugh a lot at the village children's home. We joke and there are lots of sarcasm in my home. It's their therapy. But um, she said, I came because he said we eat three times a day here, you know. We will get to eat three times a day here. And um, so anyway, it's, that's their stories. And then it was a few years later, God, I was in a village near where they were from at a one of our staff members' niece's graduation. And we we're all eating. And I just so happened, I can't bring 50 kids everywhere I go, but I'll bring groups 10, 15 at a time. Just so happened the twins were with me that day. And they looked through the woods and saw a little boy hiding behind the tree. And they said, and I saw, you know, mother sees that frantic look on their kids. I said, what's going on, babe? She goes, see the boy behind the tree? That looks just like Isaiah. It's got to be our little brother. So I went and sure enough, it was him. So we, we got J-Boy, gosh, nine years ago, um, this month, nine nine years ago, I think. So so those are the stories. So now <clears throat> this, the second to last one, the twin, uh, Mati, is marrying the boy on the left. His eyes are kind of closed. But Lynn shows another story, eight years old, drunkard in a ditch, um, abandoned. Both his parents are alive, but his parents have chosen really horrifically bad lifestyles. And he's never met his dad. Supposedly his dad works up here in Washington somewhere. And um, But yeah, he was an alcoholic at eight years old and addicted. And we took him in and he's um, getting his degree in civil engineering. And he is a full-time missionary taking care of two of our churches right now. So they're getting married in a few weeks. So, so I'm excited about that. So, okay, let's go to the next picture. And it's probably one I was supposed to be using a while ago. Yeah, that's just us at the graduation a couple weeks ago, the 8th of this month. My husband, that's Jason in the blue flannel and our 10 graduates. The next one is just me and the twins. Yeah. So that's the one on the right. She's going to go to cosmetology school. The one on the left is going to nursing school, marrying our national, our son, who's a national missionary. Okay, let's hit Chiapas. Mm. No, I had another 
quick story. This is also in Puebla. These are the twin, my other sets of twin, set of twins, and they're actually identical twins. This is a this year rescue. You, know, you guys all saw the rescue video that, okay, you saw the girl who was crying and saying, I'm going to take my life. That's their older sister. <clears throat> I took her and her little girl in. That was the rescue on the video. But if you notice, Miss Audrey was holding a baby. That's the baby. Joe's. We'll just call him Joe's. But this is a rescue of five people in March, actually February. The one on the right was brought to me. Um, pulled up. I got some calls. We found this girl laying in the middle of the centro, drugged out, raped. She's a mess. Do y'all want her? Can you take her in? Bring her on. So the next, um, or late that afternoon, judicial trucks, you know, eight men with AKs come in to bring me this little girl. I'm like, I don't think she's that big of a risk. But she was all still high on meth. She got in my office. We started my attorney and I started talking to her, questioning her, signing papers with the child protection. And you just saw, even though she was high, bloody, messed up, filthy, she looked around and, and it's just the Holy Spirit. It's not me. But she knew she was in a safe place. She knew she was going to be okay. And she started repetitiously saying, I have a sister. I have a sister. I have a sister. She's a twin. She's a twin. She has a baby. She lives with a narco. He beats her up. He's going to rape the babies. She just starts. Rrr. She goes, and I also have another half sister. She's older. She's 20. She has a five-year-old daughter. And I know her, her men are doing what they always did to us. And so that was how <clears throat> this rescue started. So the next day we went and found her. They were. Both sold when they were very little girls. Their mom, um, instead of taking them to school and helping them plan their dreams and visions, um, when they were little, she took them to the streets and prostituted them. You know, um, another warning sign is for trafficking and such is when the father's 70 and the mom's 30 or 35. Well, you know that the mother is teaching the daughter to do what, what she did. She was forced to do. And that's why we break cycles. You would just break cycles, break cycles, break cycles. So they were 15 when I first got them. They just turned 16 last month, a couple of weeks ago. But um, both have just been beat up, trafficked, raped, abandoned, had no hope for the future. But God, God's given them both to me now. That little baby there, he's my angel. I miss him so much. He, um, He's our angel. And then we, after we got them two, we got the ones that were on the video, the little girl, Dee, and her mama, M. So that was one of our more recent this year rescues in Puebla. And they're doing great. They had their birthday um, the 29th of June. A few days before that, every night we bathe the baby in my bathroom and go in the bed, my bedroom and dress him and stuff. And the mother, the one holding him, says, Mama, you're not doing a birthday cake for me, my sister. Really, she's saying you are going to do a birthday cake for me, my sister. But, you know, they question you. Sometimes they use the... the um, can't think in English, the negative for the positive and vice versa. But I said, of course I am. You're turning 16. I said, in the States, it's a sweet 16, which I'll celebrate 15. We celebrate 16. So I'm going to have a good little party for you. And she started, she said, no, I don't want it. I don't want a birthday cake. And I'm not coming even if you give me one. I said, mm, we'll see. I said, we'll see. I said, we're going to, we're going to celebrate you. And she said, I don't want to. And first it was just that anger. But I've learned to work through that and see it's not anger, it's pain. And I, and I looked at him, putting his diaper on, putting powder all over him. And I looked at her. I said, Even, have you ever been celebrated? Have you ever had a birthday cake? Has anyone ever told you that you're beautiful and that they're glad you were born? And just, 
Tears are rolling down her face. She said, I've never had a birthday cake. I didn't even know my birthday. You know, so we did. We had a beautiful birthday party. And she and her sister, the one on the right is more smiley like that. Actually, that is her birthday. Yeah. And you can see the redness in the one on the left side. She was nervous and she cried. And then we made her made her laugh afterwards. So that's what we go through. If you want to live in drama, come visit me. So, okay, now go to Chiapas. So what you guys have done, y'all are our only supporting church specifically for Chiapas. So we'll, these are a few of the kids. You can go ahead and start passing the kids' faces. Um, we have rescued just since um, April. We inaugurated. I went there in February. Let me back up. <clears throat> Jason and I were actually in a rescue and restoration driving in another state when I got a call from one of our godsons from Columbia who works there at the time. He was a representative for Voice of the Martyrs. Now he works full-time for me. He and his wife are directors of my children's home in Chiapas. But um, he called and he said, look, we get, now I'm getting all these calls, Voice of the Martyrs. We're getting all these calls from houses burning, um, murders, rapes, vandalism. And they're it sounds like it's there is it's, it's martyrdom, it's, it's, it's persecution of the church, but it's it's right there hand in hand with trafficking and murdering of children and raping and girls are disappearing. This is really hard for me to believe this is happening again here in Mexico. I said, and Jason, I had on speaker, Jason's driving. I said, and I had like a huge schedule, didn't have a day to spare at the moment. And he's like, do you think, what do you think? I mean, what do you think? You, you work with against the drug lords. You would know more of the symptoms. And I said, well, let me look at my schedule and see when we could possibly fly to Chiapas. And Jason's like, let's fly there tomorrow. I'm like, tomorrow? <laughs> and we couldn't get the next day flight. But the day after we, we did, we flew down to Chiapas. And again, you hear all these stories. And you think, no way. This is a 21st century. This stuff ain't still happening. When we got there and I went to the room full of people, adults and mostly children who had, you know, some of the boys, their dad was running through the, the jungle with them, shot to death. Mom grabbed the kid, hid by the river for a week or a month. So you hear, I started hearing all these stories about the church persecution in South Chiapas, which is at the Guatemala border, which is huge transportation of um, where they're, uh, illegally transporting drugs, firearms for the drug war, um, and of course, human trafficking. So it was, that's when it happened. I just, normally I try my best not to call Brother Rit Miss Audrey because they're always really busy. But I, call, I said, we need to talk, Rit and Audrey. They knew we were going down there and, and just so happened they were here with with you guys. So it was just all a God-ordained thing. So, so that was February. We worked and worked and worked and we started the home and um, our, the actual inauguration was the 22nd of April of this year. And since the inauguration, first, we did restore 26, the 26 kids we had first. We've they're all doing good. And then we've taken in about 20 since then. And the pictures you, you're seeing there. Can you go to the group pictures? These were just taken this week for y'all. I share that one on Facebook. So those are the kids we have right now. Um, which I believe is 12 or 13. The war is all around us. Since I started the home, the war has gotten worse. The war is um, 23 people were killed outside of our village children's home just two weeks ago when I was still in Mexico. So that's them just being silly on the camera. So those are children who were brothled. Um, a lot of them have both parents, but their parents, their mom's a crack addict. And she chooses her life and her drugs and her men and her prostitution over those beautiful little girls and boys. So um, that's another group shot of them. We've actually go to the, let's see, go to the next one. 
we actually, I'm closing down. Go to the next picture. Yeah, this is, we'll call her A. When I just opened up the home, the week I opened it up, Child Protection begged me. That's why I did stay there. I'm thinking, this is Chiapas. This is San Cristobal. Gorgeous, beautiful area. Colonial. Uh, it's, it's, you feel like you're back a century. People from all over Europe and America and Canada. It's a really big tourist hotspot. Um, surely they don't need a children's home here. But when we start bringing our cases to Child Protection, the DAs and um, judges are like, please, can you start a home here? We have no one. We don't have anyone taking in these children. We 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 get kids who are brothel, and within 24 hours they're back in the brothel because we have nowhere to put them. So so we did, and so we're actually it's a place where foreigners are constantly passing. This little girl's mom is originally from Haiti, but was in Brazil. Um, don't know anything about her biological father, but her mom and boyfriend decided to cross over to work in Arizona, and her mom died crossing the Panama river and the boyfriend so we got word of this just through word of mouth that she's possibly there being brothel by her mom's um, boyfriend and within a day we found her and it took a process we had to fly the aunt from brazil to be with her but that's her in the airport saying goodbye and she's restored to her grandparents and her aunt her mom's sister who are good people and they're going to raise her and if we hadn't been there to help in this we don't know where she'd be right now so and then go to the next one this one and the next one these are other twins from Honduras who we also there's caravans of people coming into America from Mexico but there's more caravans that's not on the news going into Mexico from South America from El Salvador Honduras Peru Guatemala everywhere and so many of them even if they're from a good family their parents get killed because they got two pretty twin girls and the parents disappear and then the girls are brothled so we have a lot of cases like that from all over South America and we're there now so we're we're rescuing them we we help with the child protection rescue these two twins and they have been as of last week happily restored to their grandparents who are good people in Honduras so that's what you guys as a collective church are doing um don't think it's not anything it's a lot y'all are helping us rescue restore and raise thousands of children for jesus i really believe we're on the threshold of um, because it takes a long time to get a really good staff (laughs) and i got a really good staff now in several states and and we're all functioning well together and god has you know it takes a long time to to be known in in the public's eye but we have a great reputation throughout the republic of mexico i've been in different states sometimes not even doing a rescue at a seminar or summer conference and they'll introduce me to the da or someone from the white house or something there and one of my attorneys will go to introduce me go wait a minute is that nicole is that the rescuer i'm like how do you know about me so it's not me it's jesus because i said yes and i went so thank y'all thank y'all so much god bless you You can just remain standing. And, you know, we're here today in many ways to celebrate lots of things. To honor Nicole, her husband, Jason, to honor what's going on. 
the rescue to honor and to say thank you to the collective church and those who are partnered to do something, to, to say yes and do something. But I think right now we should do something else before we move on. And that is that I believe deep inside of me that there are those of you right here in this room who felt like that, that there was no one to rescue you, that you were alone and abandoned and you had no one. Thank the Lord these children had Jason and Nicole to come and and, and do something about their condition. But I felt like there was some in here today that you say, who's coming after me? I have no one. I'm alone, and I feel abandoned, and I feel orphaned. Well, the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus said these words, I will never leave you as orphans. And then the next phrase, he says, and I will come to you. And I want to just in, just help you know deep inside today, Jesus has come to meet you. Jesus has come to rescue you. Jesus has come to take away your sins, to take away the pain, to take away the hurt on the inside of you. You say, well, I have no family and I have no one. No, you do. The collective is your family. God has put you in family. He sets you in a family who will love you, who will disciple and help you, who will put their arms around you and love you right where you are. But I want to ask you, will you make a vow to Jesus today and just say, Jesus, here I am. Take me as I am. Take me in my brokenness. Take me in my my place of abandonment. Take me. So I'm going to help you with how to walk in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it comes with surrendering your life to Him. He came to you today. Yes, this service is about what's going on in the rescue in Mexico, but you know it's about you today because Jesus has come to you. So just pray in your spirit. Just pray in your mind. Pray in your heart, but make a vow to Jesus today just like this. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I thank you for loving me just as I am. I give you my life and I surrender. Forgive me of all my sins. And restore, rescue, and raise me. And that simple. Jesus transports you into where you are, into His family, and rescuing your life. Writing your name in His book. Putting your name in the palm of His hand, and you are forever with Him. Before you leave today, find a staff person. Come to me. Come to Pastor Ben. Pastor Heather, tell someone that you vowed your life to Jesus. And now I want to shift a minute. And I want us to talk a little bit about how you can be involved and what's going on in rescuing children out of Mexico. It's my wife, Ann. You know, as I sat and listened to Nicole, um, words seem a little shallow, right, Nicole? To express the gratitude. 
to each of you for your investment and what you've done for the children and the thousands and thousands of children to come. And I feel two things in the room, just the the gratitude for what you've done and then also knowing that some of you face your own difficult circumstances. Maybe you have kids that you're concerned even where they are right now. Dusty and I have been there or we've gone to bed at night not knowing where our daughters were. And God actually in that season called us to sow into somebody else's kids. And somehow, some way, you reap what you sow and you sow into something. And it's usually out of sacrifice. When God asks you for something in, in your desperation, and yet then He sends out a rescue mission on the behalf of the thing that you need. So I want to read this scripture to you today because this is what we're doing. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, and take your inheritance. An inheritance is everything that you need. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he says, For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in and I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. And I think today you would say, and I was on the streets and you found me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? This is Jesus talking. Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we ever see you a stranger and invite you in or you needing clothes and clothe you? you? This didn't make sense. They had never seen Jesus in these circumstances. They had never met these needs for Jesus. And he said, when you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And Jesus says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. Those children's faces are the face of Jesus. Every one of those things, how much does it cost to give a cup of cold water? But it was a sacrifice that ministered to Jesus. So what I want us to understand is everything you've done, everything you do, whatever Jesus is stirring in your heart, Jesus said, you're doing it unto me. And when you get to heaven and somebody runs up to you, a little kid from Mexico, and says, remember when you gave me water and when you fed me and you rescued me off the street? And you're going to go, 
I don't think so. But they're going to look at you and say, thank you. Thank you. Because you sent someone on a rescue mission to find someone that Jesus says, you did it to me. You did it for me. So wherever you are, maybe you need your own rescue mission. Sometimes you have to sow. So on behalf of somebody you don't know. And then Jesus, he says, you just did that for me. Look what I'm going to do for you. Let me just pray for you. Jesus, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. And you're so tender. You're also very fierce. And you're a warrior on behalf of children. God, I can't thank you enough for the people in this church for stirring a heart, a heart inside of them to get on a rescue mission with you. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in their hearts. I I take just this time, Jesus, to ask you to go into their own four walls where they're saying, how can I invest in somebody else when I'm so desperate? But God, in faith, as you stir their hearts, I'm asking that you would dispatch angels. God, that you would send out warfare on their behalf as we unite for these children in Chiapas. But God, I ask that you would also unite the forces of heaven on their behalf. And that you would see the water and the food and the clothing that they are investing in. And God, that you would go after the thing that they're believing for. So I pray that you would open up the windows of heaven and do what only you can do. In the midst of 29 million, you'll highlight the one. So we thank you for the one. But we believe for the million. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. To find out more, visit thecollectivechurch.com.